0: Well, hi there. How are you all doing? My name is Mark Vandermas, and it's my pleasure to welcome you back to Radio Free Acton, the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. Always good to have you along with us on the podcast, and I'd encourage you to bookmark radio.acton.org. For all of our podcast archives. Lots of good stuff there for you to peruse and enjoy. And of course, you know, check out the Acton Institute Power blog as well. Blog.acton.org. Lots of great news, information, commentary there on a daily basis every week for those uh, looking for information from an Acton perspective, for those who love liberty, for those who care about virtue. It's all right there. Blog.acton.org. Great place to go. Lots of great resources. Today we're talking about a difficult topic on the podcast, something that I think most of us would rather not feel like we have to think about, would rather not think about at all. Uh, But we live in a fallen world, and so we often have to confront issues that are difficult, that are heart-wrenching, that are painful, and today's one of those days that we're going to do that on the Act in Power blog and on the uh, Radio Free Act in podcast. We're going to talk about human trafficking. Not a subject that a lot of us uh, really enjoy thinking about. We don't like to imagine that somewhere in the world there are people who have been taken against their will and are being exploited either sexually or for their labor or in some other way. Um we, we don't like thinking that slavery still exists, and yet it's out there. And I think for those of us who are in the United States, sometimes we can get comfortable in our affluence and in the relative stability of our society and say, oh, well, you know, this is something that happens overseas. It's something that happens in the third world. It's, it's not a real big problem in the United States. Well, unfortunately, it is. It's a big problem. And it's a big problem here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, the hometown of the Acton Institute, it's a big problem in small towns, rural communities. It's it's a big problem in big cities. It's a big problem because, A, it is much bigger and more widespread than we think about, than we like to imagine. And so sometimes it goes under the radar screen because people assume it doesn't happen where they are. And, B, it's a huge problem because it is a direct and horrifying violation of the image of God that people bear within them. One of the core principles of the Acton Institute, of course, and, and really of Christianity as a whole, is that people are created in the image of God. And thus, people have special value, inherent value, and they have rights that are, are that, that are inherent to them, that are not granted to them by any government or by any society, but come from the fact that they are created in the image of God, and therefore you have value, you have rights. Human trafficking, modern-day slavery, is a direct and horrifying violation of everyone's basic rights to liberty, their rights to to live their lives as they see fit. And so it's something that people who care about the oppressed uh, and people who care about the rights of people have to Take into consideration we have to look for ways to fight it and we have to be armed with information. So that's what we're going to do today on Radio Free Acton. We're going to talk about the problem and we're going to give you some resources that you can use to help fight human trafficking in your communities. Uh, the point person at Acton really for our human trafficking Efforts And our outreach has been Elise Gravelin Hilton. She's a colleague of mine, a communications specialist here at the Acton Institute, and she is passionate about this issue. Last year, she organized an event that brought together a, n- a number of local uh, advocates here in the Grand Rapids area to talk at the Acton building and our Mark Murray auditorium about the problem of human trafficking in our area. Uh, It was a fantastic event. We've got the video of the event online on our YouTube channel. Uh, Just head over to our YouTube channel and do a quick search for Hidden No More, Exposing Human Trafficking in West Michigan. And there's a great deal of information that will enlighten you on the situation, not only here in Acton's hometown, but it's information that you can use wherever you are. Uh, Information about what human trafficking is, how to look for signs of human trafficking, and some organizations that you can go to that... You can support in their fight against human trafficking, and that you can uh, be trained in how to deal with the issue and how to how to look for it, how to uh, be a first responder, really, uh, if you should see something that that ends up being suspicious. But Elise has gone beyond just organizing that event. She's written extensively about human trafficking on the Power Blog. She's also now written a monograph, which is a it's a fantastic little book. Uh, very affordable. It's uh, available now uh, in the ebook version, the Kindle version. Five ninety five is the price. Paperbacks will be coming soon, and it's called A Vulnerable World: The High Price of Human Trafficking. Fantastic resource for anyone who doesn't know what human trafficking is, or who knows what it is and just wants to have some information about what can be done about it. Uh, we don't want to just focus on the problem and say, "Oh dear me, it's a terrible thing." We also want to give resources to help people to step up in their communities and to fight it. I had the opportunity to sit down with Elise uh, yesterday here in the Acton Studios, and I want to go over to that interview right now and give her an opportunity to talk to you about her book, about the problem, and about the solutions that we can all embrace to help get this problem under control. So, without further ado, let's turn to my interview with Elise Gravelin Hilton. I'm joined in studio today by Elise Gravelin Hilton, who's a communication specialist here at the Acton Institute, my colleague and, uh, and I'm pleased to say my friend. Um, who She's been here for a number of years. How, how many years have you been I've at Acton? I've been now?
1: at Acton for five years.
0: Been at Acton for five years, so she's a long time Actonite. Right. Uh, but we're here today to talk about your new monograph that's. Uh, on the cusp of being published in, pu- in paperback, it is out now on Kindle. Correct. And it is called A Vulnerable World, The High Price of Human Trafficking. And this is an issue that you've really uh, dived into over the last uh, couple of years, yeah. really, yep. uh, and done a ton of research on. Yep. Um, and uh, the first question, I guess, that that people might need to know is, what? how do you define trafficking? Uh, human trafficking is a term that I, I think gets thrown around, and sometimes people don't really understand what the fully orbed view of human trafficking is. What does it entail?
1: Right. Um, Human trafficking means that a person of any age um, is sold or transported for commercial use in some way. But then again, we'd also have to include um, body parts because, unfortunately, organ trafficking is becoming a huge problem in the developing world. Um, It's... A distinction between human trafficking and smuggling is that smuggling usually uh, means that once the person is taken to the point where they have paid to go, is then they're released.
0: They're allowed to go off. You know,
1: Mm -hmm. it usually is, you know, costs them a great deal of money. Um, for them to be smuggled. It
0: usually ends up being a form of exploitation, but right. it's not, it's not, necessarily, not what necessarily what you're talking about. It's not necessarily the
1: same as trafficking. In a trafficking situation, the person is held for some period of time, and they're either forced to do uh, work in, uh, say, a factory or an agriculture, agricultural setting um, or in sex trafficking. Those are really the, the main uh, between labor trafficking and sex trafficking.
0: Okay, so now, now the Acton Institute, people when they think of Acton, they think of um, economics and sort of uh, the, the matrix of, of religion and economics coming together. How, how does one affect the other? How does a, a, a monograph on human trafficking fit into what we do here at Acton?
1: Well, I think for people who are familiar with Acton, they know that everything that we do is based on the dignity of the human person. Um, and clearly, human trafficking is a violation of that. Um, but when I started doing a lot of research on human trafficking, one of the documents that I first looked at um, was the 2013 uh, commission uh, report from the state of Michigan on human trafficking. And it, it really resonated with me in terms of uh, some of the verbiage that they used in that report, like rule of law. And the economic impact that it had on the state. And I thought at that point, wow, this really is in Acton's wheelhouse. Um, You know, it's it's a a clear violation of the dignity of the human person. It um, is definitely a rule of law issue. And it has tremendous economic impact, not just globally, but locally. And when I say locally, I don't just mean Grand Rapids. I mean, literally wherever the listener is, there's an impact economically uh, due to human trafficking.
0: There there are people out there right now saying, well, no, it isn't. Not, not in my community. We don't right. have traffic in my... We, we just don't have that. Right. Even here in, in Grand Rapids, which is a kind of a... It's a bustling city, but I think people still think of it as sort of a a sleepy little Midwestern town. They're going to say, what are you talking about, human trafficking in Grand Rapids?
1: Right. Um, And we have enough of a problem in Grand Rapids that we have one of only two treatment centers for female minor trafficking victims in the state. Um, There are 12 beds for residential long-term treatment for teenage girls who've been victims of trafficking in Grand Rapids. And there are 16 beds at uh, Vista Maria, which is in Dearborn Heights. And that makes us in the state of Michigan ahead of the curve in terms of the 50 states because we have 28 beds. Um, For minor male victims of sex trafficking, there are zero residential treatment facilities in the united states north carolina just broke ground on a treatment center it will be the first um so when people tend to think of trafficking they think oh you know i've seen it on uh an episode of svu or it's like the movie taken um you know it's something that happens in the developing world or overseas or maybe maybe in new york city but certainly not where i live um one uh, book that I read when I was researching my, for my monograph was a biography from a woman named Teresa Flores, who's a Michigan native, um, and she was a suburban girl from the Detroit area. And when she was 15, um, she had gone out with a boyfriend who drugged her and raped her and then turned her over to men who trafficked her. Now, when this was happening... She was still living at home, and she was going to school on a regular basis, and she as a teenage girl just didn't know how to get out of the situation or ask for the help that she needed. Um, so this is literally an issue for educators, for healthcare providers, for first responders, for law enforcement, for parents, for virtually anybody you can think of. This is something we all need to be educated about. I liken it to where we were 30 or 35 years ago with domestic abuse or child abuse. Um, you know, 30 or 35 years ago, um, people tended to turn a blind eye if they saw a woman who had quote unquote walked into a door and had a black eye. Um, or they knew that the kids next door's dad, you know, had a really bad, uh, Anger problem, a temper, yeah, right, exactly that sort of thing. But n- now we, as a society, we no longer allow that. We no longer uh, turn a blind eye to that, and that's really kind of th- we're at that tipping point now with human trafficking.
0: And, and I think one thing that has to be said at this point too is that if if you're one of those people who who kind of listens to the podcast casually and says oh, this doesn't really affect me, this podcast is for you. Yes, it does exactly. affect you. It is you just assume. That it is in your local community, right?
1: Right. You and um, I think that's probably the most important thing that I want people to know is that um, it is in your community, and and traffickers bank literally bank on your ignorance. They want you to stay ignorant about this because it's one of those crimes that um, is so hidden that that's how they get away with it. Mm-hmm. And unless and until we decide that we're going to expose traffickers, this is not going to stop. They, traffickers um, benefit from greed, lust, and ignorance. And if we can take one of those away from them, the ignorance part, then we can start making some substantial changes.
0: Uh, human trafficking is—is is it a growing problem? And if so, why is it a growing problem today?
1: Um, well, it is a growing problem, and and um, like I said before, it's it's growing because it's economically um, successful. It's the second largest uh, criminal activity in the world, um, just behind drugs, and and um, most folks that study human trafficking say that unless we do something in the next 10 years it will overtake drugs it it's 150 billion with a b 50 150 billion dollar a year industry um, so why is it spreading because it's a very good way to make money so if you're a criminal this is a this is a great way to make money let let me just um, share this if most of us, you know, we'll spend five bucks for a cup of coffee, um, maybe go out to lunch a couple of days a week. Um, we'll stop at the grocery store once or twice during the week on our way home. You know, between Monday and Friday, we'll all have easily spent $90. Sure, yeah. Um, $90 is the going rate for a human being today globally. Uh, and if you're a sex trafficker, for instance, that's a really good investment, Um because unlike guns or drugs, a human being can be sold over and over and over again. A pimp, for example, can expect to make in the United States between twenty-two and $23,000 a year off of one of his prostitutes. So for that $90 investment, he's going to get $22,000 a year tax-free um, on a purely economic level. That's what we're talking about.
0: You just you just shake your head because the the economics is
1: right. It's it's just terrible. Right, it's just and, terrible. And then on on the other end of it, um, it also costs us in terms of trying to put these survivors back together again. Um, Absolutely. We can we can only imagine the terrific harm that's done to a human being, um, when they're trafficked. Um, whether they're, it's labor trafficking or whether it's sex trafficking, there's malnourishment issues, there's substance abuse issues, there's mental health issues, there's, uh, under education issues. These are people that generally don't have job skills. Um, we're talking about millions and millions tens in the tens of millions easily of um, services that are needed for helping these people once they 've survived um, and that 's something that 's a price that we 're all going to have to pay as a society um, i I have some ideas of how we should be doing that but but the the point here is is that what we need to do is focus on preventing human trafficking rather than how are we going to put these people back together again so um the it, cost of prevention yes, is going to be a lot
0: more uh, affordable than right
1: absolutely exactly. you know right. it's it's certainly a lot easier to have a whole human being and keep them that way than to try and put a broken human being back together again
0: I am speaking with Elise Gravelin Hilton, the author of A Vulnerable World The High Price of Human Trafficking. This is radio free Acton. Elise, um, let's get down to some nuts and bolts here. Uh, if a person is, is wondering where they might see trafficking, what, give us some examples of where you can expect to see trafficking or where you might see it.
1: Well, I think one of the things that people need to be aware of is that they're probably not going to see it. Because it's a hidden crime. Mm-hmm. Um, in most of our minds, when we think of a prostitute, we have this image in our minds of a young girl in short shorts and high heels standing on a dark street corner, and that's really not what human trafficking looks like now. Um, why? Because cops know that that's where hookers are, so that the the pimps have gotten, unfortunately, a lot smarter than they've the cops. adapted. Yes, they've absolutely adapted. Um, so what? What we would see is veiled advertisements on places like Craigslist and Backpage for, say, models or dancers or escorts. Um, and those are all places where, where uh, human trafficking victims are bought and sold on a regular basis. Um, So it's not like you're going to be able to drive down that certain street in your city or or town and see uh, a sex trafficking victim um, because it is hidden. Um, And, of course, with minor victims, it's it's very hidden because that's um, definitely a a problem. Um, What there are some things that people can look for um, and. You know, one place that I think surprises people about human trafficking is I think all of us have had, if we live in a city or in a suburb, we've all had kids come to our door during the summer uh, selling candy bars. Sure. And we know that they're not the neighbor kids because, you know, we know our neighbors and it's not during school. Um, very oftentimes, those are kids who are being trafficked. Um, they're sent out during the day. Um, with an adult escort, and they're forced to sell these candy bars and then turn the money over. Um, Questions that you can ask kids like that are, you know, where are you from? Where do you live? Is that your dad in the car? Um, Things like that. Now, sometimes you have to dig a little bit because the kids have been trained to say certain things. Um, But if a person doesn't know where they are, that should be a pretty strong indication that there's something wrong. One thing that traffickers do uh, is that they move their victims frequently to keep them disoriented. Sure. Um, so if somebody doesn't know where they are, if it's a young person who's with a much older person that is not a relative, that's a, another sign. Um, if they don't have any identification, um, any driver's license, any, anything that, that identifies them, um, they s- seem to never have any money. Um, They don't have very much freedom. Um, domestic servants and nannying here in the United States is another form of labor trafficking that's growing a growing problem. Um, young women, especially from the Eastern European countries, um, are told, we've got a great job for you. We'll send you overseas. It's a land um, of opportunity. A land of opportunity. And then they end up with a family that um, literally will work them to death or will pay them very little, doesn't allow them much freedom. It makes them clean. They're not allowed outside the house without a family member, that sort of thing. And those are certainly places where people uh, living next door are going to sort of say, you know, there's something odd going on there that's the time to speak up and not just think, hmm, there's something odd going on there and not do anything else about it.
0: Give us an idea of what what are the factors that would would either push a person into the world of trafficking or would pull them. I mean, there's there's sort of different ways that this happens.
1: The biggest push uh, globally is poverty. If people are poor, they become desperate. So that means that a man is willing to pay someone thousands of dollars to take him to the United States for a promised job um, in the construction industry, for example. And then when he gets here, he finds out that, um, indeed, he will be working in the construction industry, but he's not going to be paid. He's going to be held with other men in um, an unfurnished, unheated apartment with very little food. Um, So poverty definitely makes people desperate. And the more that we can do to help people support themselves in fruitful, healthy, legitimate ways, especially in the developing world, but not just the developing world, the more we can cut down on trafficking. So that's that's poverty is by far the biggest push factor. Um, Another push factor is corruption. Um, And that means that um, officials, whether they're government officials, whether it's local law enforcement, um, it could be the guy that licensed bars and restaurants, they are corrupt. They accept payments from the traffickers. So they ease the way for traffickers to do their work, and they make sure that the traffickers are not held legally responsible. So those are the two biggest push factors, I would say. Now, in terms of uh, victim, um, like I said, people are desperate when they're poor. Um, The most common sort of scenario for labor trafficking is a male who is age. So that's typically someone who's got a family to support and who is desperate enough to do something that maybe he normally wouldn't. Um the, the average sex trafficking victim is a female between the ages of 16 and 19. The factors there are quite a bit different. Um that's not usually a poverty situation although it can be, but you're talking usually about someone who's emotionally vulnerable, someone who may have mental or physical disabilities. Those are two of the leading factors in trafficking. Um and someone that um is from a dysfunctional uh family situation. Um a very typical scenario for a young girl to be trafficked would either be contact via the internet or being picked up someplace like um the mall or the movie theater, any place where young people hang out and Don't think that you're going to see some big guy throwing a girl over his shoulder, screaming and hustling her out to the car. It's not like that at all. Um, Human traffickers are predators and they're hunters, and they're very good at what they do. They know their prey. And if you think about a lion hunting in the wild, the lion doesn't pick out the strongest member of the pack. They pick off the weak one at the end of the pack. So what they'll look for is an isolated young girl, um, someone who appears to be emotionally vulnerable, and they'll just strike up a conversation with them. Um, and it can be either a male or a female trafficker. Um, and they'll say something to them, you know, casually, like, you know, you're, you're just too pretty to be looking so sad, you know, what could sure. be so bad. And the girl will respond, you know, my mom's really mean. You know, she doesn't let me do what I want to do. Oh, yeah. You know, my mom was like that too. I really hated it. And they'll just strike up a conversation with them. And remember, a trafficker in this situation has all the time in the world because they're looking at this person as how am I going to make the most money off of this person? I've got time to invest. Mm-hmm. OK, so eventually what will happen, whether the contact is made via the Internet or um, in person, is um, that girl usually. But there are male um, sex trafficking victims, to be sure, um, will be given some sort of a token or gift, oftentimes a cell phone. This will be our way of communicating with each other. Sure. Um and the girl is made to feel like she's in some sort of real emotional relationship with this person, whether it's an older man who's taken an interest in her Or an older female who she sort of looks at now as a mother or a sister figure. Like a mentor. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, these people have all the time in the world. And in a matter of months, what will happen then is that this girl will then be told, look, I've invested a whole lot in you. Look at all the stuff that I've given you. I've bought you clothes. I bought you makeup. I bought you a cell phone. You know, you have to start helping. You have to start paying for this stuff. And, and that's how girls get get caught up into uh, sex trafficking.
0: Radio Free Acton uh, talking today with Elise Gravelin Hilton on her new book, A Vulnerable World, The High Price of Human Trafficking. The monograph is out now on Amazon for Kindle. It'll be out very soon in paperback. It's priced very affordably, under six bucks. Uh, so you can pick up a copy and uh, read it for yourself. Pick up a copy for the nurse in your life or the school worker in your life, somebody who deals with people who might be in a position to, to look out for folks who might be in trouble.
1: Right, exactly. Um, the, the way that I wrote this monograph was um, not only that it be um, short and simple so that people don't have to invest a lot of time in it, but they can still come out of the reading experience with a good knowledge of what this entails, but also that um, people would be able to share it and to be able to, like you said, um, you know, pass one on to the nurse, pass one on to the teacher. Um, And those are the people that we really want to share this information with. Um, I just spoke this weekend at the Michigan Student Nursing Association conference in Lansing, and it was a really terrific experience for me, um, and very gratifying um, in that the the nursing students that I met um, were really eager to have this information, and this was not part of their nurses' training, um, so. This was very useful for them that we go through what what some of the signs are what they things that they can look for as medical professionals. But it's not just that, um, as I mentioned before, um, many um, victims of sex trafficking, especially younger victims, go to school. Um, you know, they're seen by they're seen by their teachers, they're seen by school excuse me school social workers or psychologists, um, principals, and. There are going to be signs that something is wrong with these kids, and we have to be able to to notice those and pick up on them.
0: One thing that I want to make sure that we do before we wrap this podcast up, I want to make sure that people know of something concrete that they can do to address this situation. I want to highlight an event that we have coming up here. At Acton uh, in April, on April 29th uh, from 7 to 8.30 p.m. right here at the Acton Building in downtown Grand Rapids. We are going to be having an event as part of our Acton Art Series. We, of course, have an art gallery here in the Acton Building, which we're very thankful for. And what we're going to be using that to do over the month of April is we're going to exhibit some artwork by a local artist here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, by the name of Pamela Alderman. And there's going to be an event uh, where Pamela Alderman and you, uh, Elise Gravelin-Hilton, will be speaking on the topic of the Scarlet Cord, the evils of hu- of human trafficking. And I want you to talk a little bit about that event and a little about Pamela so people know what they would be getting into.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about this. Pamela has become a good friend of mine over the past year. Um, she's a local artist from Grand Grand Rapids, Michigan, and she has shown um, her work at Art Prize, which um, our listeners may or may not know is a um, the world's largest um, open art competition um, held in Grand Rapids every year. Um, last year, Pamela's piece, "The Scarlet Cord," made it into the top twenty-five, which is a really big deal. Um, and her piece, "The Scarlet Cord," focused on sex trafficking, and she worked in uh, excuse me in with Women at Risk International, which is an organization based here in Grand Rapids. Um, They work here and in 40 countries around the world to help not only prevent human trafficking, but also to help survivors. Um, And Pamela's piece is um, a very large piece Um, And a very beautiful piece And I was rather bold when I met Pamela And saw her art and asked her if I could use it for the cover of my book And she agreed Um, And we've become friends And so um, she's going to be here in April with me Um, We're going to be talking about human trafficking And then Pamela's going to be talking a little bit about her art And people will have a chance to see her work The Scarlet Court. So I'm really excited about that
0: uh, one other thing that I want you to do, Elise, you mentioned uh, Women at Risk International. There are a lot of organizations that are out there that are working very hard to address this issue. Can you give folks uh, organizations that they can that they can go to, go to the website,
1: sure. and
0: uh, just start helping out in fighting human trafficking?
1: Sure. The, the two that I would um, highlight um, right off the bat would be Polaris Project, and they can find that um, on the web at polarisproject.org. Um, they're a national organization that works with human trafficking victims. Um, one thing I really like about their website is that they um, have a very concise list of things to look for for signs of human trafficking, um, and they also uh, have the human trafficking hotline that can be reached anywhere in the United States. And you can also text um, the words the word "be free." Um, To the number that they give on their website That's for anybody that is in trouble or thinks that they are um, seeing a human trafficking situation. Um, And then the other organization that I really like is Women at Risk International. I'm in no way involved with them. I'm just a big fan of their work. Um, And one thing that they do, besides giving a lot of really solid information on their website, is they offer what's called a civilian first responders Class, They will come to you. They will come to your church. They will come to your school. They will come to whatever organization you have. Um, and they'll teach a day-long class on being a civilian first responder. And that means learning how to recognize the signs of human trafficking, learning how to respond, learning what you can do as an individual or within your circle of influence, whether that's your book club, whether that's your church community, whether that's the people that you work with, whether it's your family, what it is that you can do within your circle of influence to help with this problem.
0: It's a huge problem. Uh, But there are ways that you can get involved to help. And Elise, uh, one of the things that people can do is read your book, A Vulnerable World, The High Price of Human Trafficking. Thank you for coming down to the studios today to talk about this. And uh, we're going to put links to uh, Polaris Project and War International on the Power blog with this uh, podcast. And uh, we look forward to talking with you more about this subject in the future. Thank you so much.
1: Great. Thank you.
0: Well, that wraps up my interview with Elise. I want to thank Elise again uh, for taking the time to talk with me about her book. And I want to encourage you to check it out as well. The Kindle edition out now, A Vulnerable World, The High Price of Human Trafficking by Elise Gravelin Hilton. It is a fantastic resource for anyone who is concerned about human trafficking. Frankly, we should all be concerned about human trafficking. Uh, it's a terrible crime. And whatever we can do to combat it, we should be doing. One of the things you can do is pick up this book. Uh, You can visit the resource uh, links that we've included in the post that accompanies this podcast. And just get informed uh, and look out for those who are suffering. Look out for those who are vulnerable. Be a voice for those whose voice has been taken away from them. Uh, Elise, you've done a fantastic job. Thank you so much for joining me today for the podcast. I also want to thank all of our listeners. Uh, The podcast wouldn't be worth doing without you, and we appreciate your taking the time to join us for Radio Free Acton on a regular basis. This is going to wrap up this edition. Hope things are going well for you. Hope you have a great week, and uh, we'll talk to you next time on Radio Free Acton, the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. Thanks, everybody. See you later.